Pentecost Sunday. You know, what, what, what better time to really, and, and I'm going to say scratch the surface because I'm telling you right now, um, the power that was poured out upon the church in an upper room on Pentecost Sunday, on the day of Pentecost, um, in the time allotted and in probably our lifetime, we could probably only scratch the surface of what that is, of what we are capable of, uh, of what, how, how great of a gift we've truly been given. So this morning, as we open up our Bibles and we're going to we're going to spend some time in John. We're going to spend some time in Acts. So as you, as you open up your Bibles to the book of John. Thank you, Pastor Tony. We're going to look at four topics. And we're going to spend some time looking in John, looking in Acts. But we're going to talk about this morning. First of all, we're going to talk about power promised. Then we're going to talk about power past. Then we're going to talk about power that's been patronized. And then we're going to talk about the price of power. So if you would just bear with me and listen to me, let me just say this. If you don't agree with me, you know what? You don't have to. Uh, but just don't tell me during service, all right? Wait till the end of service and then let me know. Because. <laughs> I don't think my morning could handle that. Uh, but um, but let's, let's look at these three things. And, and you know, our plan, I know the, the, the minister always gets here and he gets the microphone, he gets on the pulpit and he says, you know, I don't plan on going long today. So uh, that's really not my plan. But you know what? Hey, if, if, if it does, it does. And if it doesn't, then lucky you. But let's dig into some of this. So we're going to start in, in John 14, 2 verses 15 and 17. Uh, this is what the Bible says. This is the words of Jesus. It says this. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the, fa I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And this is where we find ourselves being promised the power that was poured out today on the church in that upper room. Power promised. Acts 1, 4 through 8 says this. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, he asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
real quick, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here because most of us understand what a promise is, right? Most of us understand that if somebody says, you know, hey, I'm going to do this for you, then, then, then you know, it's kind of expected that that's going to happen. So what we find is we find the disciples and we find Jesus and, and we, we find him making the promise of the helper, making the promise that, that one will come after me, making the promise here in Acts uh, 1 and 8 when it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit, everybody say power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a big moment. This is a big moment for you. Here, right now. Because not only is this a promise to his disciples... Not only is this a promise to, to the men that, that walked with Jesus, to the men that, that witnessed great things, this is a promise to you. This is a promise that, that there is a helper that is available to you. This is a promise that there is power that is available to you. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that power will make you a witness. In Jerusalem, Pulaski, right? In Judea, Pulaski County. In Samaria, Virginia. And to the ends of this world. If you'll first believe the promise of power. If you'll first believe the promise that Jesus, that God, is showing you here in Acts. All right, enough about promises. Let's get to, like, you know, the, the exciting stuff, right? Because the, the only issue with promises is a lot of us have had those broken before. Yeah? A lot of us has, have, have been promised the moon by people. Maybe been promised, you know, the moon by employers. Oh, your raise is coming. You, you know, it's going to happen. And then we wait. And nothing happens, right? We wait. And there's always a reason why, well, you know, maybe next time. But let me tell you that that's not how my God operates. That's not how Jesus operates. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Because as we read it, if we'll jump into Acts 2, 1 and 4, we see where power is passed. Power is not only kept by, by God and, and by Jesus, but, but the promise happens and power is passed to those in which the promise has been given. Acts 2, 1 through 4, the Bible says this. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them uh, divided tongues as a fire, and one set up on each of them. And they, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And I want you to hang with me here because I, I want us to, to understand this. This is the moment. That the power was passed 
to me and you. This was the moment that the power was passed, right, to the disciples. This was the moment that they knew all the stuff that Jesus had talked about. When, 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 when Jesus would walk with them and, and when he would talk with them and, and he would, you know, let them know that, that you know, you can cast out demons in my name, right? When, when, when he would, would have conversations about, you know, one day you're going to be great. And one day you're going to lead this. And, and, and this rock, this church is going to be built upon you. All of those promises, all of those things, all of those commitments. This is a day that, was, that, that, that power, that, that, that the ability to, to do that was, was passed and not only just, just spiritually, but, but I, I believe with my whole heart that as we're, we're reading this and, and, and I, we see the writer of Acts, I believe that, that, that it was literal. Like they could really, really see it. They, they could look in the room and there was divided tongues of fire setting on it and pouring out that they could actually see fire with their eyes. So not only was it a, a spiritual thing, but I believe with my whole heart that it was a physical thing. And it was the moment that, that, that supernatural touched mortal. And something great happened. Here's what I want us to understand. First of all, the disciples, they were right there. Right? They had it. There's no doubt if you continue to read through acts if you continue to, to to read the last half of the bible if you if you see what the disciples walk through if you know if you'll take time to look at at the great and the and, and and the mighty things that they've done the people that were healed the decisions that they made you know before the spirit poured up out on them and after man they had it and you could have it too this morning because the same power that filled an upper room thousands of years ago is the exact same power that is available to you this morning. The same power that wretched into a grave and pulled Lazarus out of it is the exact same power that you have within reach this morning. The same power that, that pulled Jesus out of the grave. The same power that, 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 that worked the resurrection. The same power that healed people just in a touch. Is the same power that you have available to you this morning. So my first question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to treat it? What are you going to do with the power that has been placed in front of you. So there's a few things that I want you to understand. First of all, this is a quote by Ben Parker. With great power comes great responsibility. Ain't that awesome? Now, half you guys just realized that Ben Parker is actually Spider-Man's uncle. That's uh, right. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. But it's true, right? It's a comic book movie, but it's true, right? With great power, yes, you, you have great responsibility. It's almost like that moment when, when you get certified in CPR, 
I'm just going to tell you right now, I am certified in CPR, but I did it during COVID, so it was like an online class that took 45 minutes. <laughs> Haven't been recertified since. But, you know, isn't, the thought is you're certified in CPR, so if somebody is, is in need of CPR, then, you know, you should be the one to do it if nobody else is around because, well, you're the guy that can help or the lady that can help, right? Here's the thing. They had it. And they chose what to do with it. You have it. It, it, It's at your grasp. It's right there. What do you want to do with it today? What do you want to do with it this week? What do you want to do with it this month? Maybe look back. Well, what have you done with this power the first half of this year? Next, let's look at people who kind of misuse the power. I'm right on time. Let's look at people who misuse the power. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the power that God has, has poured out upon us, the day of Pentecost, and, and the Holy Spirit that, 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 that fills us. I need to, to, to get one thing out of the way here because I don't want anybody to, to kind of misunderstand me. And if you're here and, and you're a guest or, or you're a visitor this morning, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, okay? You give your heart to, to Christ, child of God in the room. If you're in the room and you are a child of God, God has your heart and you're serving Him, I will see you in heaven one day. All right? Wants to understand that. But when that happens, when you make that commitment, that's when the third person of the Trinity comes into this temple. And starts to, to, to guide, right? You, a lot of us call it conscience. Should be called conviction, right? Whenever you start to stray away from, from, from the commitment that you've made and the decision that you've made, you know, that thought or that, 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 that heartbeat or that, that pulse you get right here in the, 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 the side of your temple, knowing that you're not supposed to do it, that's the spirit, right? That, that, that's. That's the helper that has been promised. That's the third person in what we call the Trinity. Now, the Holy Spirit was not created in Acts. The Holy Spirit was was not something that was, you know, Father, Son, and then, okay, now we need something else because Jesus is gone. He's transcended. So now we got to have something else. That's not the case. Because if you'll read even in the Old Testament, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has has been around. They have existed together since the beginning. Amen? I want you to stay with me. I want you to, 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 you know, trust me. Trust the Bible. They've existed together forever. That's why whenever we read the great works of Samson, you know, just before something great, it says, you know, the, the, the power of God came upon him. Or in some translations, the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit has been around as long as God has been around. Jesus on the throne, sitting beside uncreation, because in the beginning, they created, right? So hear me. There's some... Sometimes I'm guilty of it. Sometimes you've probably been guilty of it. And if you have, you know, there's a great morning to say, oh, that's kind of me. But 
There's people that have taken advantage of the Spirit, that have misused the Spirit. For example, James and John, the sons of thunder, right? James and John, tried to, they tried to call down fire on an entire group of people because they rejected Jesus. If you'll read, the Bible says that, 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 that Jesus was rejected. And James and John said, you know what? If you will give us the power, we will call down fire upon them. And Jesus said, slow down a little bit. It's not how it works. How about Samson? Giving great power. Giving great ability. And misused his strength. Got caught in the trap of, of a wrong relationship. Got, got, got caught in the trap of, of, of just what he thought was love but was really lust. And misused that great power that was given to him how about David King David the man after God's own heart takes the position the, the great power of the position that God blesses him with that God ordains him for and misuses that power to call Bathsheba into his, his quarters yeah how about Abraham? Abraham, who was, who was promised great power whenever your nation and, and your seed and, and, and your people will, will be greater than all the stars in the sky, right? How great is that to, 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 to have that, that power that your lineage will never pass away? Your lineage will, will never die and what's he do he's he's got this this great promise he's got this this great power and and he can't wait for it right so he decides to to take matters into his own hands and not only does does this does God use him to to birth the nation of Israel but now at this point because he's chosen to to step into his own path to to rush the power. We also see the nation of Islam being birthed out of the same moment through a man that has been promised great power. If you read in Matthew 19.22, you read of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, what must I do? Sell everything. The rich young ruler says, you know, that's a hard saying. I can't do that. The power was right there. But because he was not willing to pay the price for it, he faded away nameless and powerless. So let's talk about the price of power real quick. This is just my introduction, guys. I'm rolling. 11.30, in case you don't know. The price of power. Let's slow down a little bit here, okay? Here's the price of power. First of all, John 14, 5. The words of Christ. Keep my commandments. Price of power. First of all, it's obedience. So you want this power? You want power? You got to be obedient to it. 
Jesus says, keep my commandments because one is promised to come after me. Then to receive that, sorry, but I'm not really sorry. But you got to keep his commandments. Yes, even the hard ones. Even the ones in the New Testament, when Jesus says, you know, it was written that thou shalt not lust. But if you even look upon someone with that intent in your heart, then that is lust. Yes, even the hard ones never. Jesus says, it is written that thou shalt not kill. But even if you hold hate in your heart against your brother, you have murdered them and you have killed them. Listen, you want the power? You got to follow the commandments. Got to follow the commandments of God. And this isn't just like the big ten. I'm talking about all the commandments of God. Whenever God and whenever Jesus says, you know, no man comes to the Father except through me, that is a commandment. That if you want to be plugged in, you're plugged in through Jesus. The commandment that no man shall live by bread alone, right? But every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is a commandment. That what you need to eat and what you're hungry for, it should be everything that God speaks into your life. Everything that is in this, this buffet they call the Bible. Right? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to use a sword. But man, I sure know how to use a buffet. So, so we're going to call this my buffet today. That's what it is. You're going through something. Here's the answer. Right? You have an issue? Here's the answer. And because of modern technology, you ain't even got to be able to read. You can just listen and find the answer. Got to have obedience. Now here's the hard one. The price of power takes patience. Got to be patient. You want the power? You got to be patient. Acts 1 and 4. The Bible says this. And being assembled together with them. He commanded them do not, part, do not depart from Jerusalem. Now hear me. But to wait for the promise of the Father. This is a hard one. You got to have patience. The power of is available. The power is promised. The power will be passed. And the price for that is your patience. See, the, the, the New Testament is full of people that felt like what they had to have or their need had to be met right then. And Jesus even showing them he didn't rush. He didn't drop everything and, and, and run to the tomb. We got to learn to have patience. We got to learn to wait. We got to learn that, you know, sometimes an answer or no answer is not a no, right? No response isn't, isn't, isn't God, isn't Jesus saying no, that ain't going to no. But sometimes you're required to wait. You're required to, to sit exactly where you're at. I, I read one time that even in, in ministry and, and ministers, you know, 
What, what do you do next? What's the next move when you don't hear God? I don't remember what book it was, but it was really clear and it was really plain. It says you do the last thing you heard God say to do until he tells you to do something else. It's that simple. Well, I'm not hearing him right now, okay? Then you do the last thing you heard him tell you to do. And you do that and you wait until you hear him tell you something else. That's the price you have to pay for this power. You got to be obedient. Sometimes you got to wait. You got to wait for the promise. And then here's the next one. This is probably maybe the most difficult one. You got to sacrifice. Because I'm going to tell you the power is going to require a sacrifice. Like anything in this world that is worth something, I believe you got to pay a price for it. There was, was many years I spent my life in campus ministry, and we did golf tournaments, and we did fundraisers. We were very blessed to see hundreds of, of, of students in Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia give their heart to, to Christ on a high school and middle school campus. And it was amazing, but we learned something in trying to fundraise and in trying to, to, to do this ministry and run this ministry. That chances are, if I was to sit up here and say, hey, you know what? I'm drinking out of this water, but you don't want it. But hey, this water is completely free. Somebody come and get it. I mean, please don't like, but you know, you could. But I had, and we learned that we would try to give stuff away. We would try to give stuff to students and to churches and, and even to business owners. And we would have events and, and a table of free stuff. And it was amazing to us that people didn't want the free stuff. But we would take the exact same stuff and put a price tag on it. We'd take the exact same bottle of water, try to give it away, nobody wanted it. We charge a dollar for it. We didn't have enough of them. See, there's something in our minds that we, we, we're, we're confused sometimes, and we think that just well, if they're giving it away, it must not be worth anything. But if I have to pay for it, then then that it adds some worth to it. I don't understand it. Listen, give me anything you want to give me. But it's true. That's why those of you that have Older children that drive. That's why when you give them their car, they try to run into everything in the world with it. It's like, hey, let's see if I can hit that. Hey. But when you make them buy their car, all of a sudden they're like, you know, hey, the car's dirty. I'm going to go wash this thing. Hey, the car needs to vacuum it out. Right? Am I right? I was like that. First car I was ever given to me. I burnt down in the school parking lot. It was an accident. Like, I didn't mean to do it on purpose. Like, hey, let's burn this. But, you know, it happened. The car that I had to, like, the next one that I had to work all summer for and mow yards and feed chickens and all this other crazy stuff that uh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. You know, I bought that car with Mama. It's a different story. It was older than, you know, my really nice car that my parents gave me. It was a little more junkier. But I worked for that thing. That was mine. Had my money in it. Had my sweat and blood in it. It's just something about when we have to pay for something, we appreciate it a little bit more. Right? See, that's why the Spirit is placed into you at salvation. Because salvation costs you nothing. 
Accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior costs you nothing at all. That's why he died. That's why he bled. That's why he rose again. So that you will not have to pay anything for the freedom that is promised to you in the Bible. And if you want it just to stop there, then you live in righteousness and right standing with God, and that's fine. And you know what? That's okay. You'll still make it. As long as you're living in right standing with God, all you have to do to make it to heaven is to accept Christ as your Savior and live a life that honors Him. Live in righteousness. Obey the commandments. Worship God. That's it. But if you want something a little bit more, it's going to cost you something. We wanted freedom many years ago in this nation. And what was the cost? The lives of the soldier that we remember today. See, that, that cost us something. You find something in your life that you want. You have to work for it. You have to sacrifice for it. I'm a sports guy. I think it was Devin Booker. I was reading one time that he said never in his entire years of high school, never went to a senior prom, never went to a dance, didn't have friends in high school because all he wanted to do was be a professional basketball player. That was the price he had to pay. It's a lonely price, but, you know, it's the price he had to pay. See, the power has a price. It's obedience, it's patience, then sacrifice. So here's the thing about power. Here's the thing. If you have to convince people you have this power that we're talking about this morning, then you probably don't have it. Okay, I want you to hang with me. Great leadership principle right here. If I have to tell you I'm in charge, probably not in charge. If I have to convince you that I'm the boss, then chances are I'm not the boss. See, it's the same thing with the Spirit of God. It's the same thing with the kingdom of heaven. It is the exact same thing with your Christian walk. If you have to convince people you are a child of God, the chances are what people are seeing does not tell them you are a child of God. And actions sometimes speak a lot louder than words. Amen? That's why the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. I can have faith that God's going to do something, but if, you know, if I don't move in that direction, then what good is my faith? So hear me. Pastor Tony, if you don't mind, you can come on up. If you have to convince people that you have the power, you probably don't have it. If you've got to talk people into believing you, that you've got the power of God in your life, then chances are you probably don't. Because here's the truth. People know when you have it. When you walk into a room, how you treat people in the grocery stores, all right? How you treat people at school. I'm just going, I know I got some students in here, and school's almost over, and school's almost out for everybody else. And I ride our, listen, I give these guys a hard time down in youth group, whenever they start talking about how bad and how mean and how hateful their teachers are. All right, now listen, I had some mean teachers. All right? But you know what made them even more upset? It was never I was being a knucklehead in class and wouldn't listen. All right? I got one. But here's the deal. 
If you have to convince people, you probably don't. People know it when you have it. Students, I'm going to tell you right now, high school, middle school, whatever. If you walk into a room, and there was, my son got bit by the bug this week. Guilty by association. Guess what, bro? That's the part you play. That's part of it, right? Because whenever you surround yourself, right, then you don't look like you look like everybody else and you get in trouble with everybody else. That's how it works. So when you walk into your workplace and you look like everybody else, but then you want everybody to you know, believe that you've got something called the power of God, you can't expect that. you got to convince them of it. You probably don't have it. Because if you've got it, they know you've got it. Because your presence changes something. Your words change something. The way you, you treat people changes something. That's what the power did. Found a bunch of people in a room that were there waiting. Then it showed up and changed something forever. So let me ask you this morning. Do you have the power? Do you have the power this morning? Do you have it? I'm not talking about, well, actually, let me rewind that because first I am talking about, do you have the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? Do you have the power that comes with saying, I am a child of God? Do you have that power this morning? If you don't, you can leave here with it. If you have that power, do you have the power that is that is poured out upon the church this Pentecost Sunday, this day of Pentecost? Do you have that power? Do you have the power to be able to, to raise people from the dead? Do you have the power that is promised to the disciples, that is promised to the followers of God that will allow you to lay your hands on somebody and they recover. Do you have that power? You say, well, I don't know if I have the power. Sometimes you have the power and then you kind of forget you have the power and you lose the power. Sometimes you, you have the power of the relationship with God. I'm a child of God, right? And because of that power, you should be able to, to know that your dad, you, your, your father has got your back. So let me help you. Three words. Power doesn't panic. You need to hear me. Power doesn't panic. You've got the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ, then somebody is fighting for you. Don't panic. Because the people that have the power are the people that do not panic in situations. Let that, let, that, let that soak in for a few minutes. Power doesn't panic. Don't think you have the power this morning. No, you haven't. Don't think you have a relationship with God this morning. No, you've got one. Because power don't panic. This 
Memorial Day, we celebrate power. We celebrate those. We remember those who fought and died. But I need you to understand something here. Standing on battlefields, and I have never been in war in my life, and I know we have veterans in here, and they could probably answer this and give a description of this a lot better than I ever will because I've never stepped foot on that battlefield. But I believe with my whole heart that there was moments that our great men and women in our country that fought and died wanted to run away, and they did not. They stood there because they knew they had the power, and they did not panic in the situation. And it cost them their lives. But they knew they had the power. And power don't panic. Dan, David, standing in the, the face of, of Goliath, steps out onto a battlefield, looks at a giant, and says, Today, my God will deliver you to the crows. Not a crack in his voice, because power does not panic. Every disciple in the Colosseum, chained to posts and burned. Power don't panic. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego threw into a fiery furnace, walked up to the edge of the doors, not begging for their lives, not worried about what was going to happen, opened the door and stepped in. You know why? Because they knew something nobody else in that room knew. And power does not panic. Jesus, when others wanted, wanted their, their, their loved ones healed, when, when, when the, the, the boy was sick and dying, when Lazarus was dead in the grave, and the, the, the families run, and they, Jesus, we need you. You got to go now. We need you right now. In a panic, what did Jesus do? He made it there. Eventually, one guy even said, you're late, and she's dead. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't panic. Right? Because he knew. He knew he had the power. He knew that whenever he got there, something was going to change. And it would change exactly when he got there. I think my favorite example, if you guys will, let's all stand. Here's my favorite example. If, if I could get you to just kind of use your imaginations just for a second. And we're going to open these altars up and we're going to worship. Just, just put yourself in the camp of Joshua. Right? Put yourselves with the army as the army is, is walking around the, the, the walls of Jericho and they're, they're doing everything that God told them to do, right? They're being obedient because God says, March, 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 march on the last day, march and cry out. Right? They did that. They were patient. I'm sure as, as, as they're marching around the walls, and if you've ever watched VeggieTales, I'm getting ready to ruin like a perfectly good altar call with the VeggieTales reference. But, you know, it's what I do. You know, I'm sure there's people like insulting them and, and, and calling them names and throwing stuff at them as they're marching around the wall from the great walls of Jericho. But they were patient. 
So they march and they march and they march and they march. And on the last day of the last lap, they cry out to God. And the Bible doesn't say this happened. But this is what I like to believe. They march. They've been marching for days. They cry out to God. And they're ready. And then I just I just like to believe in God's timing and and and, and in, in, in my spirit. They cry out. And with great expectation, they're ready. Nothing happens. I like to think that maybe it took, let's, let's just say 10 seconds, okay? 10 seconds. But how many of you guys know whenever you're right at the edge of panic, 10 seconds is like 10 hours, right? When you're right at the edge, when everything you feel like, 10 seconds, might as well be a year. And they're waiting, and they've cried out, and everything God's told them to do, and they're waiting. A few seconds goes by, nothing happens. Maybe the guys start to look around like, okay, what's, what's... But they don't panic. And they're all sitting there, and they're all waiting, ready to charge, ready to fight, ready to go in and receive what is theirs take back their land then all of a sudden they hear a pebble start clinking down the wall not immediately but, but they had to wait for it a little bit right they had to stand there and wait believe God okay listen power don't panic don't, don't just hold hold the line hold it hold it and believe it's going to happen he told you it would they didn't panic. Then the first rock falls, right? Then the second rock falls. Then the next thing you know, the entire wall is down. See, it had been really easy when they're there and they cry out and nothing happens immediately. It's real easy for them just to say, okay, that's it, I'm done. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can stay in your seats. You can move to this. You can do whatever you want. But right now, just for a few moments, just for a few choruses, we're going to worship. We're going to worship before we pray this morning. We're going to worship before we lay hands on people. We're going to just spend a few moments in worship. Because power doesn't panic. And there's great power in worship. So if you would, wherever you're at, you can, you can move. If you want to move down to this altar, you can. But wherever you're at, worship with us.
power doesn't panic. See, the power is he won't Come fail. On. Come on, that's right. See, that gives you the power in whatever situation you're in this morning. That gives you the power. So they're going to ask, if you're here and, and, and you want to, to, to come, I feel like we should fill these altars and we're going to pray for each other and we're going to worship. But here's the deal. First and foremost, if you're here this morning and you do not know the power of a relationship with God, this is your morning to come down here. Just come when everybody else comes. Get to this altar and just simply ask God, God, please come into my heart. God, forgive me for everything I've done. Jesus, Save my soul. And guess what? You've got the power not to panic in a situation. Yeah? If you're here this morning and you've got a relationship with God because that's going to, that has to happen first, and you don't have the power, or if you had the power that the Spirit has poured out upon us, maybe you've, you, you've hidden it away. Maybe you've been a little embarrassed by it. I don't know, but this is your moment to come down here to this altar with your family and cry out to God and let God give you that power that allows you not to panic whenever the doctor calls and gives you a bad report. That allows you to not panic whenever you don't got enough money to pay all your bills. The power that allows you to stand before this great and mighty wall that God has promised you will fall and wait for it. And know that God is working. So we're going to worship. They're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to come. Come together. If you want to bring somebody with you, come worship. Pray. Cry out to God.